Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Alex Hall in Fresno. The Biden administration is expected as soon as today to restore California's authority to set its own tailpipe emission standards. California has been setting its own standards for more than 50 years. A Trump administration effort to revoke that authority has been tied up in litigation. Scott Hochberg is a transportation attorney at the Center for Biological Diversity. California is getting back its authority to set its own clean car rules, and they need to be the strongest in the nation in order to drive progress forward and meet the state's climate goals. Fourteen other states have adopted California's strict tailpipe standards. Hochberg says whatever the state does now will have consequences for emissions across the nation. California's battle against single-use plastic waste continues this week. Lawmakers are considering a bill that would limit the types of packaging online retailers can use. KCRW's Kaylee Wells has details. When online shopping grew during the pandemic, so did packaging. A report last year from the wildlife advocacy group Oceana says Amazon's plastic waste spiked nearly 30 percent in 2020, although Amazon disputes that. That plastic takes centuries to degrade. The new bill would require big online retailers to stop using common plastic packaging by 2024. Small businesses would have more time to transition by 2026. If this measure passes, retailers would have to use packaging that's reusable, recyclable, or biodegradable. It's not the first time California's tried to do this. A similar bill died last year when a business coalition, which included plastic companies, said eliminating the packaging could lead to more damaged stuff and spoiled food. This time around, the proposal excluded some perishable foods like produce and meat. For the California Report, I'm Kaylee Wells in Los Angeles. Sea levels along the U.S. coastline are projected to rise by a foot or more by 2050. That's according to new federal data out this week. But what does that mean realistically for California? Well, KQED climate reporter Ezra David Romero has been diving into this, and he's here with us to explain. So, Ezra, can you just give us a little bit of context behind this report? I understand it's building on previous research. Is that right? Yeah, there's been so much science that's taking place over the past four to five years. So this is an update to all that work. 
It focuses on sea level rise across the nation and then in subregions. California is the southwest. And what were some of the standout findings from the report? Three things. One, they predict a lot more flooding. By 2050, typically damaging flooding is predicted to happen 10 times more than it does today, and that's going to vary regionally. They also say about two feet of sea level rise by 2100 is expected from the emissions to date, and that higher levels are entirely dependent on whether the world greatly reduces emissions or not. I'm going to let NOAA Administrator Richard Spinrad explain the third. One of the most profound statements in this report is that the United States is expected to experience as much sea level rise in 30 years as we saw over the span of the entire last century. The report predicts sea levels along the U.S. coast will rise 10 to 12 inches on average by the year 2050. And so what does all of this mean for Californians? The interesting thing is that by 2050, sea level rise is expected to be lower here on the West Coast, about four to eight inches. After that time frame, what happens next is really dependent on what happens with global emissions. If the world keeps warming, then ice sheets are at risk of melting in the higher climate scenarios. But Ben Hamlington with NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena says that's a little up in the air still. I think it's important to separate out the higher scenarios as you get out to 2100 and beyond, because you do have the potential for very large amounts of sea level rise to occur associated with some of these processes that there's still quite a bit of uncertainty about associated with the ice sheets. Is there anything here that we can be optimistic about? Well, there's a little bit. When I spoke with the state and local sea level rise officials about this, they said the new data it doesn't hugely change what they're already preparing for. Their current models are already preparing for a far wetter future of like three feet or more. And it will likely take about a year for the federal projections to make its way into California's plans. The other cool thing is that the new data goes all the way up to the year 2150, which wasn't in that last report. Jessica Fain with the San Francisco Bay Conservation and Development Commission says that extra layer of data will help planning for the future. 2100 is, it might seem like a faraway number, but it's really the lifetime of a person who was born today, right? And so having these further out numbers to think about is uh, something that's really valuable. And Jessica says there's no reason to lag in preparation because after mid-century, projections speed up and sea level rise and flooding are just going to get worse. Ezra, this is a lot of information to digest, but thankfully we have you here to explain it to us. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.com. 
podcastsnetwork.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. State lawmakers announced two bills Tuesday to tackle COVID-19 misinformation and disinformation online. KQED's Rachel Myro has more. Assembly Bill 2098 would encourage the state's medical board to discipline doctors peddling disinformation for profit. Senate Bill 1018, modeled after similar federal legislation, would require social media platforms to disclose data that helps academics and lawmakers see what's being done to counter COVID-19 confusion. Senator Richard Pan of Sacramento says California can't wait for a national solution. Transparency will allow the public to make informed decisions. And lawmakers and researchers need necessary information so we can hold online platforms accountable and also set standards. The bills come from a working group of state lawmakers focused on boosting vaccination laws. For the California Report, I'm Rachel Myro. The Kern County Sheriff's Department says it's received 1,500 inquiries after releasing a recruitment video targeting L.A. County deputies who could be fired from their jobs if they refuse to get vaccinated for COVID-19. The video was posted to Kern County social media last week, not long after the L.A. County Board of Supervisors voted to take vaccine enforcement away from L.A. Sheriff Alex Villanueva. Villanueva has been under fire for refusing to force sheriff's deputies to get the vaccine, and he claims the department could lose thousands of employees over the vaccine mandate. Kern County Sheriff Donnie Youngblood says his department does not require deputies to be vaccinated like L.A. does. You know, these are 4,000 employees that for two years have been responding to calls for service during this pandemic when no one else would do it, not knowing what the end result was going to be with this pandemic, but they still went. And after two years, they're offered the option of to get a shot or get fired. That just doesn't make sense to me. Youngblood says he has 130 jobs that need to be filled. We're just trying to be innovative uh, to fill vacant positions. Because the truth is, if someone calls 911 at 2 o'clock in the morning and someone's breaking in their house, the last question on their mind will be whether the deputy or the police officer responds is vaccinated or unvaccinated. Sheriff Youngblood says he's not an anti-vaxxer himself, but believes the decision to get the shot is a personal choice that deputies should make in consultation with their doctor. The revelation this week that San Francisco police used DNA provided by a sexual assault victim to identify and arrest her years later for an unrelated crime is generating national outrage and calls for legislation to ban the practice. KQED's Alex Emsley reports. A prosecutor in San Francisco DA Chase Boudin's office first discovered the issue in the form of reports from the SFPD crime lab. They say a routine search of a local DNA database identified a burglary suspect based on a match to the victim's DNA in a 2016 sexual assault examination. Boudin says the records indicate that the issue goes far beyond the single case and quite possibly beyond San Francisco. We don't know how many thousands of survivors of sexual assault have their DNA without their consent in violation of Marcy's law and violation of the Fourth Amendment stored in this database. We don't know if there are children who have survived sexual assault, who have their DNA in this database. He's saying the practice may be an ongoing violation of victims' constitutional rights, though not directly banned by any law. It could also discourage survivors from reporting sexual assault. As many as three-quarters don't, according to Ilsa Connect, an advocate with the Joyful Heart Foundation. 
survivors often feel shame and blame, and they really fear the societal response to coming forward. And this type of action just continues to increase their fear and, and breaks their trust. Connect says in her 20 years in the field, she's never heard of DNA from a rape victim being used by law enforcement in this way. San Francisco's police chief says his department is reviewing DNA collection policies, and if sexual assault survivors' DNA is being misused, he's committed to ending the practice. For the California Report, I'm Alex Hemsley. Another Sacramento area school district is changing its masking policies following a large protest and walkout by students yesterday. The El Dorado Union High School District in El Dorado County says it will no longer exclude students from in-person learning, even if they're not wearing a mask. In a statement, the district said it's changing its enforcement protocol, focusing on educating students and asking them to mask. State health guidelines require that masks be worn indoors at schools, although the Newsom administration says those rules may be relaxed in the coming weeks. In neighboring Placer County, students at schools in the Roseville Joint Union High School District also have the option of not wearing a mask in classrooms, following a recent unanimous vote by the Board of Trustees. Fully vaccinated Californians can now ditch their masks in most indoor settings across the state. But as the California Report's Keith Mizuguchi found, many small businesses in the Bay Area are still taking precautions. The Hotsi Totsi is a popular bar in the East Bay city of Albany. Co-owner Michael Valadaris says they had to shut down the doors around Christmas because of the Omicron surge and just recently reopened. He says the bar will be following state and county guidelines when it opens later today, allowing customers to go without a face covering. Masks have become a lot more relaxed and it seems to be this is the way it's going. So we feel a little bit like our hands are tied here. We have to move forward with the mandate. Valadares says it's already been a challenge to enforce the rules on showing proof of vaccination and wearing a mask while seated in the bar. He says they've even received some backlash from customers about how serious they've taken those rules. The Hatsitatsi is not requiring staff to wear masks during service, but Valadares expects most of his bartenders to continue wearing face coverings for their own health and safety. Across the Bay Area, many restaurants are requiring that employees continue to wear masks, even though they won't ask the same of guests. Bob Parchwright is chief operating officer for Simcoe Restaurants, which operates several restaurants, including Fog Harbor Fish House and Eagle Cafe, at Pier 39 in San Francisco. He says the executive team met with managers before coming to a decision. They're comfortable with it. They want to keep the staff safe. They want to keep the doors open. No one wants another shutdown or more restrictions by any means. So if, if wearing a mask can help keep people safe, then uh, we're, going to, we're going to continue doing that for a bit until it feels like the right time to take it off. Some businesses have decided to keep mask rules in place for both employees and customers. So it may be best to check with them before heading out the door without a face covering. For The California Report, I'm Keith Mizuguchi. And finally, thousands of fans will be lining the streets of Los Angeles today for the victory parade and rally to celebrate the Rams' Super Bowl championship. The parade starts at 11 at the Shrine Auditorium before making its way to the L.A. Memorial Coliseum, where a rally is planned outside the stadium. And that's the California Report for Wednesday, February 16th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Alex Hall. Thanks for listening and have a great day. 
Support for the California Report comes from Personal Capital, helping people take control of their finances with financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary advisor. PersonalCapital.com. Paint Care. Now with 800 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.